truly grateful. Thank you, choir. That was awesome. That was awesome. Just a great reminder of the blood. If you want to be turning in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Genesis and chapter 3, while you're turning in your Bible, I was, I heard a thing, a preacher was talking about how he went and he preached a message on Sunday morning. <laughs> and the next week he went in and he preached the exact same message. Didn't change anything. He preached it just like the week before. And the third week came and he went in and he preached the exact same message again. And after church, somebody, one of the members came up to him and said, Pastor, you know you've, you've preached the same message three weeks in a row, right? He said, yep, and when we get it, we'll move on to something else. <laughs> and I, I was thinking how easy that would be to just preach the same message over and over and, and to put it in. And, and to be honest, I'm not sure that we couldn't really <laughs> get away with it. I can remember, and I'm not going to be the only one in here, so y'all can pretend if you want to. I can remember one time specifically a few years back and showed up at work on Monday and sometimes at school, sometimes at a place. But man, it's just, you know, if you're a Christian, you know it. You have Christian friends. You love to talk about the Lord, talk about things. And they were like, hey, man, y'all have a good service yesterday? And I was like, man, yeah. It was awesome, man. The Lord showed up. It, it, was, it was great. And then they said, what did the preacher preach on? Thank you. Thank you. That's like Bob Owl. But anybody know what I'm talking about? Monday morning. Already can't think. And I got thinking, it ain't like I've outgrown that. Now I'm the one that preached it. And it's embarrassing. I said, what'd you preach on? Well, the band sang Graves in the Garden. And the choir sang this blood. It was awesome. Robin summed it up for me this week. I was sitting in my chair reading. She's sitting in her chair reading and something on her phone. And she opened up and she starts laughing. She said, this is so you. I said, how so? And she says, you can remember every word to every song from the 80s. But you can't remember why you walked into that room. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I, I can't even knock that one off because that's just a reality. Genesis chapter 3, I'll be there in just a minute. It's an incredibly difficult book to find. But I will get there in just a second. Begin reading in verse number 1. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. And if that part is true, leave the word of God alone, don't add to it. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. No, he didn't. The serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and it, you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat the eyes of them both were opened and they, they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons they heard the voice of the lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and adam and his wife themselves they they hid the hid from the presence of the lord god amongst the trees of the garden and the Lord God called unto Adam and he said unto him, 
Where art thou? He said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And then the blame game begins here. Adam says, well, you know, it's the serpent. He's the one that gave it to me, and it was his fault. And, and then Adam says, well, you know, basically, God, it's your fault. I mean, you're the one that gave me this woman, and she's the one that caused all this. And so, so I want to look at a message this morning on casual Christianity. You guys, we can be seated in just a minute if you'll just bear with me. I want to look at casual Christianity because we're in a bad spot in our country today. Our nation continues to go backward, and there's a reason for it. So so I want to look. You know, I looked at one a couple of years ago, maybe from Hebrews chapter 10. We looked at, at Christianity is an experience, not an experiment. Well, this morning, I want to look at one entitled Casual Christianity. Is it a relationship or is it just religion? God, I just want to tell you thank you so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you for your sweet, holy presence in this place. Thank you, God, that you have inhabited the praises of your people, that you've moved on the hearts of people, God, that people have been able to come to the altar and just share with you and praise you and worship you and lift holy hands to you, God. Thank you, Father, that, that our righteousness is all of you, Father. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away all of our sins, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you alone are worthy of our praise, God. Lord, I thank you that you took our grave and turned it into a garden, a beautiful place, God, an empty tomb of what you did just for us. Washed away every sin, Father. I pray you'd meet with us now, God. I pray that you would charge each of us as your children, as Christians, God, that we might see the necessity of living a holy life pleasing to you in every day-to-day life, God. I pray you do what only you can do. Lord, would you take your message, would you speak it, Father, into every heart in this place, that each one of us might hear what we need to hear for our own lives to walk out and be a better servant. We love you, God. Lord, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said... Amen. Do you know who might possibly be the greatest lover of religion? The devil. See, the, the devil it uses religion as one of his greatest tools in his very small toolbox. The devil doesn't have a big toolbox because he doesn't need one. He's got a handful of tricks because they're so effective and they work so well. He doesn't have to, to carry a big one around, but he uses religion as one of his most effective tools. One of the reasons it's so effective is, is, is because it, it occupies people's time. It fills people's mind and it gives them a false sense of security. All of the false religions of the world, and there are many of them that incorporate millions of people. And all of the false religions take up people's time. It fills their mind, and it gives them this this false sense of hope. So the question this morning is, how many people are involved in a Christian relationship? And how many people are involved in a Christian religion? And there is an eternal difference. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father. So the world. So the very first trick that we see the devil use here is religion. Right after God has created man and woman and placed them in the garden. And God created man because he desired a relationship. That's why man was made in the first place. That's what you and I are for. 
God wants a relationship with you. He, does, he doesn't want a Sunday visit. This isn't visitation hour. God, God wants a relationship with mankind. That's why he made man in the first place. That's why Jesus came to build the bridge back so that we might have that relationship. So right after the relationship, verse number 9, God's walking through the, the garden in the cool of the day. He's looking for fellowship with Adam and Eve. He comes just to hang out with them. And the Lord, can I tell you, he'll do that for you too. Can I, can I just put you a little time out right there? God's looking for that in you too. Cool of the day, whenever it is, if we just stop, get still, and make it all about him, he'll make it all about us. God's still looking for that. And he called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Why was he afraid? He, he's never been afraid before. He's never had a reason to be afraid. So what happened? The devil took the relationship, and he plugged in religion. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, pride of life. He shows Eve the fruit, and she looked at it. Boy, y'all, somebody pay attention for a little bit, because Christians can get knocked off. Listen, sin wasn't even present yet. This was the perfect environment. This was a garden. This didn't have the influence of classmates. This didn't have peer pressure. This didn't have the pulls of the world. This is in the perfect garden that's there, and he comes in, and he shows her sin. Why was it sin? Because God said don't eat it, right? So the best thing to do if God says don't eat it is just stay away from it altogether. So the devil shows it to her and she looked at it and it looked okay. But the devil handed it to her and she felt of it and it felt okay. Pleasing to the flesh. But then the devil brings this, this religion into the equation there in verse number 2 of chapter 3, the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, period. That's the end of the equation. She added, Neither shall you touch it lest you die. The commands in Genesis 2, 16, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou, must free, thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of, not, of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, Thou shalt surely die. Two sentences into the conversation with the, with the serpent, Eve has already gotten off course. He, he didn't say, neither shall you touch it. She added that in. Now, now, what's important, it's important that you know the word of God and that you keep it pure. Y'all hear me? We're reading the Bible through together. This week's awesome. By about Wednesday, you get to finish Matthew. We finally got past all that beating and brutality and the blood. And this week, we get to an empty tomb and we get to our life, right? But it's important that we read the, God, the Word of God and we learn the Word of God that, that we keep things pure. Verse number 4, it says, The serpent said to the woman, Oh, you shall not surely die. See, now he's got a decision to make. You have no business talking to the devil in the first place. You have no business carry on the conversation in the first place. When sin is presented, it's not from God. Stay away from it. See, now she's got a decision to make. Am I going to believe God? Or am I going to believe this serpent? For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Religion. See, the devil didn't say you're going to be against God. Y'all with me? He said, you're going to be like the gods. 
Listen, we will never be like God if we're doing anything that is not of God. Verse number six, the woman saw that it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes. A tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof. So, so right there, by her own words, she's already condemned. She's already added that if you touch it, you're going to die. Well, she's touching, she didn't die. So the devil's already got her reeled in hook, line, and sinker, right? So, so she took it, she ate it, she gave it to Adam, he ate it. Lust of the eyes, she saw the tree, she saw the fruit. The lust of the eyes desired the fruit. Lust of the flesh, she took the fruit, she, she took it. And, and the fruit, boy, somebody might want to hear this one. The fruit felt good. Let, let me just put that in modern day English. The sin felt good to the flesh. Mm. Pride of life, you're going to be likened to the gods. A tree to be desired to make one wise. The temptation doesn't give the appearance of a fall. The, the devil brings a temptation. This is the greatest fall in the history of mankind that brought sin upon all mankind. The greatest fall ever. And the devil made it appear like it was an opportunity to rise up. Religion. Lust of the eyes. Satisfies the lust of the flesh. And it disguises the pride of life so that it replaces the relationship. Anytime... We've looked at this a good bit in the last couple of weeks because of our desire to grow as a church, our desire to grow as Christians, our desire to grow in our relationship with the Lord, our desire to read the Word of God through together that God might do something great here to, to bind us through something great. But anytime somebody desires to grow in their relationship with the Lord, the devil will do everything he can to bring in a substitute to hinder that growth. We've been studying on Wednesday nights for over a year now through the book of Acts. On Wednesday night, we got to verse number 8 of chapter 21, and we got to Philip, and, and we stopped right there. And, and it says there, you, you got Paul and company, they're on a boat. They're, they're headed towards Jerusalem for Pentecost to worship. They've sailed past Cyprus. And in verse number 8, the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. We entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. So we left off right there with Lord willing. We'll talk about Philip next week. And we may indeed still talk about Philip a, a little bit on Wednesday, but God always has a plan. So as I was studying, he brought me back to Philip here for this morning. Philip is one of the seven original deacons of the church. He was the first missionary that went out from the church preaching. He becomes the first full-time evangelist of the church. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 8 in the Acts of the Apostles, verse number 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And that's the story I want to look at for just a minute. He preached Christ unto them. The people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them and many taken with, with palsies and that were lame were healed. But, but look carefully at verse number eight. There was great joy in that city. Anytime the presence of God is near, there's going to be great joy. Anytime there's a true sense of revival and understand revival is not four nights on the calendar. Revival is the revival of the heart when we seek something and search for something when we get closer to God. Anytime there is a true revival, there is great joy, but make no mistakes about it. Anytime there is a revival, there will be opposition. Anytime there is a great 
movement of the Lord, there's going to be a great resistance of the devil. Anytime people begin searching for a relationship, trying to build that relationship, the devil is going to try to do everything he can to interfere with that relationship and substitute it with religion. There, there's great joy. Verse number 9 says, but. Remember we talked about it often when God's doing something great. Expect opposition. You won't be surprised when it comes. The same thing is true in an individual. The same thing is true in a church. When God is doing something great, when God is even preparing a people to do something great, when God is working in a people, making preparations to do something great, the devil is going to do whatever God will allow him to do to mess that up. I was listening to a little devotion, seven to eight minute devotion by Adrian Rogers. I don't remember when he did it, but I was listening to it this week. And, and he's talking about how the devil will always come against you and, and beware of the devil. And when you're trying to grow, he's talking along these lines. One reason I was listening to it. And, and here's what he said. He said, if you haven't met the devil, it's because the two of you are traveling in the same direction. Turn around. And instead of being in collusion with the devil, you'll find yourself in a collision with the devil. So here in Acts chapter 8, there's this great movement of the Holy Spirit. It says lives are being changed. Souls are being saved. There's great joy in the city. But, remember, but's a hinge word, right? Whatever's happening is about to change. So look, look at what this man Simon is doing. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that he himself was some great one. To whom they all gave heed, from the least even to the greatest, saying, and, and here it is. This is what the people are saying about this demon-possessed sorcerer. This man is the great power of what? You see the trick? He's using his power, demonic power. He's obviously demon-possessed. And, and, and here's why they believe in him. They regarded him because of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. So even though he's of the devil, he's using these demonic powers to, to lure people in so that they said, this man is the great power of God. Now, I want you to understand something in the day of the TV shows and the stuff we got and then all this there and all that we see. That To be honest, I don't know how to do it. It blows my mind. But, but this man, Simon, he's not an illusionist. He's not doing card tricks that don't make sense. He, he's not doing something and then open it up. Well, I wrote it down last week before I left home. He's not doing disappearing acts where he disappears from behind the cloth here and shows up in the back. This man is using demonic power. This is, this is witchcraft used to deceive people. And that's important because witchcraft hasn't changed, nor has it subsided. If anything, it is alive and well and growing in this Western culture that we live in. It is a sign of the return of Christ. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of nations for my name's sake. And many shall be offended and they shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Verse number 11 says, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. First John 4, 1, Behold, beloved, believe not every spirit. 
try the spirits where they of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Second Thessalonians, talking about the Antichrist that will come, says even him. Whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. It's not going to go away. The devil's not going away until Jesus, amen, puts him away. And that day will come. But it's not yet. I would encourage you to, to do something real quick. I don't mind. I, get back in a minute. I, I thought it was pretty good. Those of you that are on it know that I ventured out into a world this week. And I, I, I loaded that app. What, Instagram? Y'all noticed that? Some of you did because you followed me. Let me tell you, that is truly the blind leading the blind. I, I don't even know how to turn it on yet. So I, I can click on it, but I can't find I, I Can I be honest? Let me tell you why I got it. Because my wife's always looking at pictures of my grandson, and I can't see him. My son and daughter-in-law post them all the time. I thought, if I'm ever going to see him, I'm, I'm going to have to get that thing, figure out how to use it. So that was my number one reason. The other is I kind of like looking at the new stuff going on in the church. If y'all notice, we have uh, our, our team there is expanding. We've got some new people helping with the, with the things. Some of you give compliments about how the social media looks. I appreciate that for two or three weeks. They're working on it. They're working on doing things. And I wanted to be able to see what they do in the church and, and what they're doing with focus and, and emergency. Though. So, so I downloaded and put it in there. But one of the things that Robin showed me, and that's what got me in it all, Mark Pritchett posted something this week. Anybody see the one on witchcraft? Has anybody looked at that? So, so Mark Pritchett's M-A-R-C Pritchett. Pull up Mark Pritchett. Awesome man of God. Used to be a youth pastor here. Um, but open it up. It's got a picture, kind of an off-colored, not very good picture of a girl. Looks like she's worshiping. I think she's doing like this or, or like this or something on the front. And, and he does a very good awareness video of where we are in our area, in our country today of witchcraft, uh, of demonics and demon worship. I would encourage you. Mark, Mark did a really good job. Just go read what he has to say. And Mark is not just an incredible preacher, an incredible man of God. He's an incredible youth talent, youth pastor, very involved. That's why he started Rush Ministries here. And, and I just, he put some stuff in. In all honesty, you really need to be aware of it. You, you need to see where we're at. Because that witchcraft, that stuff that they're doing is hidden behind the word worship. They're posting this stuff as worship. And let me tell you, a casual Christian can find themselves bought in that stuff in a minute. And the devil don't need but a minute to pull you in. The devil can take a 60-second video and corrupt your life in a way you may never get past it outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. Casual Christianity is a dangerous place. What we see here in the city is the same thing. The Holy Spirit shows up there. It's the preaching of the gospel. We see that God's doing a, a mighty work. But I want you to look at something here in this text because the devil changes his tactic. See, we get to verse number 13. Something very dangerous happens. Samaria. Now, now obviously, because of this man Simon, a lot of people are demon-possessed. A lot of people are bought into the witchcraft. That, that's obvious because it says there at verse number 8, the unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed. So there's a lot of demon-possessed people, right? How did they get that way? By this being this man Simon and his sorcery and, and his witchcraft. So, so what happens here is we see this revival. We see lives begin to change. We see relationships with God begin to grow. What we see is demons cast out and we see souls being saved. And what happens when the devil begins to lose ground right here, he changes his tactic. 
When, when people begin to get away from religion and gain a relationship through Christ, he changes his approach. Verse number 12, they believed Philip, preaching the things of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Yeah, power of God stepped in and saved the sorcerer, right? Yeah, not so fast. See, it says that Simon believed. The devil doesn't mind playing church. Anybody still with me? The devil doesn't mind playing church in a great way to round up as many as he can from within the church. To try and create discord. To try and cause confusion. To try to, to tear down from within. See, if we look there, verse number 18... We see that the only thing Simon was into was religion. He has no relationship. He's not looking for the power of God, for the glory of God. He's looking for power for himself. Pride of life. He's looking for personal glory. So what we see is that this sorcerer has moved with his sorcery into the church. But, this is a better but, this is the opposite direction. He moved his wickedness, but God revealed in verse 18, Simon saw through the land on the hand of the apostles, the hands of the Holy Ghost, or the apostles' hands of the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money. So he offered money for the free gift of God which cannot be bought. If you've already received the gift of God, you already know it's free. If you've already received the gift of God, you already know where you were in your sin. You already know how unworthy you were and how unworthy you are. You already know that you deserve to die and go to hell, but you won't because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. And it is the free gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if you're already saved, you already know it can't be bought. But what he desired was the pride of life. He wanted this power, saying, Give me also this power, in verse 19, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. He said, But wait a minute. Wait a minute, verse 12, you just said that the Simon was in the Simon believed. Well, great. James 2, 19 says, thou believest as one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The problem here is that he saw the miracles, he believed in the miracles, and he wanted the power of the miracles. What he did not want is a relationship with the master of the miracle. What, what Peter and the disciples have is a relationship. They have the power of God working in him. What he wanted was, was this personal gain. See, just like the devil will always focus everything on himself. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, it was the devil that said, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. What did he tell Eve in the garden? Eat this, you'll be like what? You'll be like the gods. See, he tried to create in Eve the same thing that he created here in Simon, which comes from himself in the pride of life. But, but that text goes on and says in verse number 15, it corrects Satan says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So, so let's go back a couple stories. Let's go back to the beginning of the message. Do you know who is possibly the greatest lover of religion of all time? 
Possibly. I say possibly. I don't have a scripture. All I have is, is the book looking at it. The devil loves to use religion because the devil knows that religion will consume your time, it will occupy your mind, and it'll give you a false sense of hope. The devil will never tell you to doubt your salvation. He don't want you to doubt it. He don't want you seeking. He don't want you searching for relationships. So the devil is never going to come in and cause you to doubt your salvation, to cause you to seek out the things of God. Listen, the, the devil don't mind you going to church as long as that's all you do. As long as it's just a, a sense of formality. As long as it's just a, you know, an obligation. As long as it's just... You know, to make everybody else around you happy because I don't want to have to hear it. As long as it's just something to check off your to-do list. He doesn't mind us going to church as long as we're not in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as we're not working on our relationship with the Father. As long as we're not intimate about coming into the house of the Lord, worshiping God, glorifying God, praising God with, with the saints of God. As long as the only reason we come to church is religion, the devil's perfectly okay with that. Just don't start working on your relationship. So here's a question. Let me, let me just give you a front. I truly believe that God has something special in store. I, I see it. I look back to things that I had no idea what they meant to when the first time we read John. It's just something God, the, the six figures on the card, four on the front, two on the back, the six things that we did together. I had no idea God was building something. But how many know hindsight's a lot better? I can look back then when God just had us read John together. Then he had us read John again. You don't have to make sense of things. You just have to trust things. So we read John together again. Then we read Matthew. And then, then we got over to 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Well, 1st John, the five chapters did. But most of you read 2nd, 3rd. But, but what I didn't realize is that God was doing something. And, and now, now we, we're reading the entire word of God together through in the year. God is preparing people. And, and I, I believe it's to, to reach out and answer a prayer that we prayed for a long time. God help us change our hometown. See, I know God's going to answer that prayer. They doubt my mind. Because it's in the will of God to see the saved or to see the lost saved. I have no doubt that God will, will use us to do it. But sometimes to be used, you got to be prepared. One, one question. If we had to answer one question on why did you come to church this morning? Why, why did you get up? Why are we at church? Which word would it be? Expectation. Or obligation. Why did we get up this morning? Were we expecting God to do something great? Were we expecting God to meet with us? Were we expecting God to move on us? Were we expecting God to inhabit the praises of his people? Or is it obligation? See, there's a lot of people got up this morning. And they got ready out of obligation. Husband, wife, mom, dad, whoever it was. I just don't want to have to hear it. It's easier to just go sit there and suffer through it for a little while than it is to have to listen to mom for the rest of the week. 
So, so did, did we come for a relationship? Or did we come for religion? And see, the answer to the question is hid behind the desire. But because if we came for the relationship and we came with expectation, church started long about Friday. Friday morning when you were doing your daily reading, you started getting a little excited. For those in that little loop of that thread, you guys that send out texts and encouraging messages and came out on Saturday and the, the messages to the songs and things come out, church really got going on Saturday. There began to be an excitement. This morning when you were in the shower, you weren't trying to get the sleep out of your eyes. You were excited in the shower. You were singing in the shower. You couldn't wait. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit in you was excited about getting here. The Holy Spirit was looking forward to gathering with all of the bodies that he inhabitates and, and coming together because he knows that everything's going to be for the glory of God. So, so when we're coming with, with expectation, church don't start at 1030. When we have a real expectation, the band doesn't have to spend the first three songs priming, priming the pump to get us ready for a couple of choir songs. When we come with expectations, we don't come needing five songs to get us primed up. We walk in the door ready to worship. Hey, it's 1029. Everybody sit down. Come on, band. What are you waiting on? Let's get it on. I'm just telling you, we, yes, we come looking forward to the, the camaraderie. Yes, we come looking forward to Christian fellowship. It's a picture of heaven. All people, all languages, all colors, all tribes, all nations come together for the glory of God. That's what it's a picture of. It's the church that we come together. So there's an excitement coming together. So the answer to the question is really hidden desire. What is our desire? What do we come looking for? It's a fair question. Who wants to be used by God for his glory? Raise your hand. The answer is simple enough. That, that, that just did two things. That just said, Father, I love you and I want to be used. And if there's at least one person brought some kind of demon in here that's going to go out and tell the devil on us. Yeah, I don't believe there's many in here. But I do believe spiritual warfare is extremely real. I've heard say a lot of times if God opened our spiritual eyes and we could see what's going around us, I believe we'd be terrified. There, there are demons of hell that do anything to take you out and there are angels protecting you and the demons can't do one single thing about it because the hand of God's around you. I want to ask you to stand where you are. I want to ask you guys, just, just go ahead and bow your heads where you are for a minute. Live stream, you guys don't turn us off. Stay, stay with us. You, you need this as much as we do. Band, you guys can come on up. Do we come to church just because it's Sunday morning? Or do we truly come this morning looking to grow? Grow in, in our relationship with the Lord. Grow in our knowledge of the Lord. Be honest, just, just to grow in the Lord. See, we, we live in this take it or leave it world of casual Christianity. There, there, there's a lot. I'm, I'm not casting any stones. I'm not. I'll give you a text in just a second to prove it. But I believe there's a lot of false 
teaching and false witnessing going on in the church. Because I believe there's a lot of casual Christianity. If you can take it or leave it, then you can't be full of it. If you can take it or leave it, then you can't be washed in it. If you can take or leave the gathering of the saints, then you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Casual Christianity is alive and well. So, so my question is this. Is casual Christianity really a relationship in love with God? Or is casual Christianity just a religion? Because it'll occupy your time. It'll fill your mind. And it'll give people a false sense of hope. So when you ask them, are you going to heaven? They say, well, I hope so. But it's not the hope that we've got. Their hope so is a broken hope. Our, our hope is, is the knowledge of knowing that Christ died and all of our sins are washed away. And the empty tomb gives us an empty grave. That, that, that our hope is the certainty of knowing. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus summed it up. Verse number 20 there in the closing part of the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. I know I use that a lot, but how do you emphasize it any better? If someone is bearing bad fruit, it's because they have a bad root. Whatever root is in the ground, that's what's going to provide the fruit that comes out. You shall know them by their fruits. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth, key word, doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we not prophesied in thy name. In thy name have cast out devils. In thy name have done many wonderful works. Verse number 23, Jesus said, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I'm afraid there's a lot of people that are going to be shocked by that statement. That's what it's talking about. They're shocked. They, Lord, we, we prophesied in your name. We, we cast out devils. We, we did many wonderful works in your name. Lord, we went to church on Sunday. Lord, we did stuff. What they have was a casual Christianity. They didn't have a relationship. They might have did things in the name of Jesus because there's power in the name of Jesus. But it takes a surrendered heart to have a relationship with the Father through the blood. Five times the Bible uses the word examine. David uses it in Psalm 26. He says, judge me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord. Prove me. Try my reins in my heart. Twice, Paul tells us that we ought to examine ourselves. In 1 Corinthians, he writes his letter there to church, and he's talking about preparation for communion. He says, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. But in his second letter to the church at Corinth, he said in chapter 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except that you be reprobates. 1 John 4, 1, we looked at it just a minute ago. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Try the spirits where they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Religion cannot get you into heaven. Only a relationship with the Father through the blood of the Son can get us into the presence of God. Christians, I, I want you to pray right where you are this morning. God, use me. God, use me to be a light. 
Let my relationship be true. Let my relationship be sure so that this dark world sees Christ in me. God, I, I just want the world to see Christ. I mean, it's this simple. I know what it did for me. I know how it changed me. I know the joy that it gave me. I just want everybody else to have what I have. Right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? We know what it did for us. Father, just help me. Religion. Religion may believe, but it's the head knowledge. It's a belief in the head. A relationship is a surrendered heart. A relationship is not a lip service. Lord, forgive me my sins because I don't want to go to hell. A relationship is Father. I'm truly sorry. It's repentance turned back. Is I want to surrender everything to you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm not looking for casual Christianity. I'm not looking for something else on my to-do list. I'm looking to serve you, Lord. I just want to surrender everything. And I'm praying for every Christian in here that God would make us usable vessels to reach a world that desperately needs it. I want to ask you real quick, does anybody in here this morning, anybody live stream, anybody can say, you know, I'm not certain of my relationship. It doesn't matter how many years you went to church. I went to church pretty much every Sunday of my entire lost life, all 23 years of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My mom made sure I was there. So if going to church was going to get you there, I was there. My mom made sure. But my mom knew that going to church wasn't going to get me there. My mom knew to just keep on telling me about Jesus. Just keep on praying for me. That one day I would get it and the blood would be applied. Going to church ain't going to get us there. Being in He's Alive programs, working in children, that's not going to get us there. The only thing that will get you into heaven is a relationship with the Father. Do you know that you know that you have a relationship this morning through the blood of Jesus Christ? You don't, you can change all that. You can change all that. It has to start out with a confession of the lips. Father, I am a sinner. The Bible says with the mouth confession is made. But where there is no shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The shedding of the blood has already been done. That's what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. It's up to you, Father. I believe in the blood. I believe in the cross. I believe in the empty tomb. I believe in my Savior seated at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is just waiting to indwell. Whosoever will, let him come. I just want to be a whosoever this morning. Maybe it's evening, wherever you're out on live stream, whenever you hear it. I just want to be a whosoever. I'm asking you, Father, to cleanse me in the blood of Jesus. I'm asking you, Father, may your sweet Holy Spirit move inside my body. Remove all my sin, erase them, separate it as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered again that I might be called a child of the King. For anybody this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, you never put your absolute trust in Him, that's all it takes. It really is that easy. It's the free gift of God. Christians, I want us to pray earnestly together this morning. He's alive, ain't that far away. 
I don't want the revival starting next Sunday night to be just a gathering of the motions. I don't want it to be something to do that occupies the time, fills the mind, and gives a false sense of security. I want the revival to charge us up so that we might be used greatly one month later in the power of God through He's Alive. I want us to be praying for the revival. I want you right now to pray for Dr. Joe Arthur. I'm not looking for the message that he's preached a hundred times. He's got it down pat and he comes in and knows how to preach. And I'm looking for the message that God will put on his heart that changes everything in here Sunday night. I'm not looking for Pastor Benny Tate to come in here and, and just preach whatever he's got written down or preach what he preached over there on Sunday morning. I, I, I'm looking for the power of God to touch his servant and come in here and bring a message just for us. Just for us. To move on to us. I'm not looking for singers to come in here and entertain us. I had four incredible groups booked and I canceled all four of them. They're great groups. It's money. But I don't want us to be entertained. I, I, I want us to pray that singers will come in here for one purpose. That is to take us into the presence of the Holy Spirit. To come in this place to create an atmosphere of worship so that those two men of God can step up on this podium and bring the Word of God. And it prepares us for He's Alive. I don't want to go into He's Alive as a play. It's not a play. It is a portrayal of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not one of us in here knows how to act and be the person that we're portraying to be. But the Holy Spirit knows how to make you that person and be that person through you. I want you praying with me that hundreds will come in those tonight that are lost and on their way to hell. Right now, they don't even know they're coming. But I truly believe if we'll pray for them, it'll influence the invites of others. It'll bring them that hundreds could be saved. Anybody believe that? Raise your hand. All over the building. I want us to just pray together, church. God would use us in this day of casual Christianity to help build relationships with the Father through Jesus Christ. Go ahead, guys.